0: Peter, which should be easy to find, because last week we were over in First Peter, and today we're going to be over in Second Peter. So, New Testament, the book of Second Peter. We're continuing, as Robert said, our sermon series that we started last week called Road Trip. And um, I can just imagine that several of you will be on the road pretty soon. If you haven't already left, you're making plans to leave to go on a road trip somewhere. It might be to the beach, might be to the mountains. I was talking with a church member earlier today, and. Uh, they have been in Tennessee, and uh, that's pretty cool. Um, haven't been in, I have not been in the state of Tennessee. Uh, it's been too long, and I look forward to heading back there because I love heading up that way in the mountains of North Carolina and stuff. But anyway, we're calling this series Road Trip because if you're like me and you're on the road, you're asking the question, Are we there yet? So we asked that question of you last Sunday. Are we there yet in understanding certain things in Scripture? Because if you're like me, uh, there are some questions that maybe you or somebody has asked you down the road, and they're questions related to Scripture, and you're thinking, well, I wonder what the Bible has to say about that. So last week, we went to the Bible, and we tried to answer the question, or the Bible answered the question for us, regarding, you know, why is there suffering? Why does God allow suffering? If He is such a good, good Father, why is there suffering in the world? For that matter, why do godly people suffer? Uh, Well, the Bible answered that question last week. This morning, I want us to consider this particular question and the question is why should i believe the bible why should i believe the bible perhaps that's a question that somebody has asked you before perhaps it's a question that you've even asked yourself every now and then why should i believe the bible so we're going to let the bible give ourselves the answer to that particular question that you see on the screen you know i remember um many 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 years ago that when I was in high school, I dated a girl, and she would often send me love notes. y'all know what I'm talking about? We called it puppy love. You know, I guess that's what we would call it now, because the puppies have all grown up. Uh, but <laughs> but, um, but I, she used to write me notes, and I used to write her notes. Um, they would show up everywhere. I'd open a book, and uh, there might be a note you know, that went along with my assignment that I was doing that week. Uh, So it was a good thing. You're a student in school, you want to always make sure you're opening your books, right? Uh, If I open up my locker at school, I might have a note. I went to my car, and I didn't get a car until I was a senior in high school, um, and it wasn't a hot rod or anything like that. It was a four-tempo, four-door sedan, 1984 model. had like 80-something thousand miles. Anyway, um, I really wasn't rocking the world with my car, that's for sure, but there would be notes in my car. Notes like this, I miss you. Notes like this, I love you. All sorts of stuff like that, and I will reciprocate, reciprocate, and I would give her notes like that as well. But every time I received one of those notes, I knew who wrote it, I knew how it got in that particular location, and I knew why she wrote it. She wrote it because she was in love <laughs> with yours truly. So, so let me just tell you this. Many of you have your Bibles open. I'm looking down. I see Trey's got his Bible open. Several of you have got your Bibles open. Some of you have got your phones. I hope you're on your Bible app. not checking the sports and stuff like that. But if you've got your Bible in any way, shape, or form, just hold it up if you don't mind. All right, I'm not going to call you out. Uh, isn't that a beautiful sight? Look around real fast. All right, y'all can put them down. Man, that's a beautiful sight. I, I asked you to do that for one particular person, not because I want you to get Baptist costal on me. Well, the only reason I ask you to raise your Bible right there is because that is God's love letter to you. Everything you need to know about God, not everything you want to know, but everything you need to know about God, everything that you need to know about yourself, why God created you, why he wants to be in a relationship with you, is right there in his word, the Bible. So let's look at our text for today. And I want you to back up with me at verse um, 16, if you will, 2 Peter chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles ready, to say amen. amen. All right, 2 Peter Chapter 1, let's back up at verse 16, and here's what God's Word has for us today. Peter writes, "For We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to Him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. That's the Mount of Transfiguration. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. May God bless the reading of His word this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, um, I thank you for those that are here in attendance. I thank you for those, Lord, that might be watching us online. Uh, Lord, I pray that as we hear from your word this morning, that um, I wouldn't say anything or do anything to take away from what you want to accomplish. May the Holy Spirit... May your word just be our teacher this morning. Lord, I thank you that your word is reliable, is true, and it's powerful enough to change and to transform lives. So move me out of the way. Speak to us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. And if you agree with that prayer, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. This is a unique passage of scripture. Now, I know you can say preachers can say that about every passage, and that's probably true. But this really is a unique passage of Scripture. And the reason this is such a unique passage of Scripture is that this is one of those times where the Bible is actually speaking of itself here. It's talking about itself. So as we look at this passage and as we kind of go through this passage and answer the question, why should I believe the Bible, three perspectives that I want you to notice with me. And first is the revelation of Scripture. One of the reasons you can believe the Bible is because of how the Bible reveals itself to us. Look there at verse 20 and one of the opening lines there, one of the first phrases there, if you will, uh, says to us how God reveals himself to us through his word. He says, beginning in verse 20, knowing this first of what? Knowing this first of all. So when Peter's writing these words, he's saying, I really want you to focus. I really want you to understand this issue, this issue of revelation. He says, there's no prophecy of scripture that comes from someone's own interpretation, so for me and for you and for everybody else that's come and gone, for those that will come after us, we've got to understand that the revelation of Scripture is foundational for our faith. Our faith in Jesus is not based on the feelings. Feelings come and go. I might feel full last night after eating the steak dinner, but guess what? I'm hungry today. So feelings come and go. You might feel happy one day and kind of down in the pits the next day. Feelings come and go. Uh, our faith in Jesus is not based on a feeling or a hunch or an emotion. Our faith in Jesus is not based on some secret knowledge that's passed down to us mystically, if you say. It's not based on traditions, myths, or, or legends, or fables. Our faith in God, our faith in Jesus, is based on the revelation of his word. And the Bible says, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. So, so what in the world does that mean? Well, the word prophecy means to, to tell forth, if you will. And it's not necessarily talking or predicting about the future. But it's talking about this is what God is saying to us in his word. No prophecy of scripture, nothing foretold, is going to come from someone's own interpretation. That word scripture is the the Greek word graphe. It's where we get our word graphic or autograph from. So when you think of the Bible as a whole, all those New Testament writings, all of those New Testament writings, it, it all says, hey, God is the author. And God is revealing us to himself through his autograph." There again, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. So, in other words, nobody at the Huddle House or wherever else we're going to to eat around here. I wish Mary's was still open, don't y'all? Great time today. I moved to Chabrol and then Mary's closed down. <laughs> but I'm not the reason Mary shut down. I just want you to know. But anyway, so so if we're if you got guys, if you got men at the lunch counter, they're not saying, "Huh, let us write what we think God is telling us today." No. God is revealing to us exactly what he wants us to know through his word. And then if you were to add on verse 20 to verse 19, he's saying nothing written in scripture just came from man's own interpretation. Nothing is a product in scripture of just man's thoughts. The Bible is not a collection of man's best ideas about God. Y'all with me? The Bible is a revelation of God's word to mankind. It's not human in its origin. The Bible's origin is divine. And if we understand that from the get-go, it's the beginning place of everything else we talk about in our faith. So, how did God reveal his word? Y'all are itching to know that, right? How did, how did God reveal his word? Well, he used several different methods. And one of the methods God used is that he described his activities directly to the biblical writer. And you don't have to go there, but we, y'all know where Genesis is, right? It's in the beginning. It's the first book of the Bible. And if you were to read Genesis 1 and 2, we see a detailed account of creation. This is how God made everything. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, he's not telling us everything. Yet, you're right. But you know what? He tells us everything we need to know to put our faith in him. All right? Uh, and there's so much more we want to know. And, and, and if you're like me, you'll say, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask the Lord. Probably not because you're going to just be so happy and excited to be in heaven in the first place. And you're there worshiping Jesus. Your family's being reunited. I know Jesus as well. I don't think some of the questions that we kind of fight over here is going to matter. But anyway, not that we fight. We just have discussions, right? And we wonder, why didn't you go into more detail here, Lord? Well, way back in Genesis 1 and 2, God gives us a description of the creation of all of the human race, of all of the universe. And by the way, nobody was there to see it. So, wait a minute, wait a minute. Moses wrote Genesis, exactly. But guess he wasn't there to see it all? Moses. So, what do you think? how do you think Moses got the idea So this is how everything happened? Well, God revealed it to him. He spoke directly to Moses and to other biblical writers. That's just one way. Another method that God used is that he would, he would actually have writers to experience and to see firsthand eyewitness accounts of what transpired. If there's anybody I kind of um, am jealous of in Scripture, y'all know some of my heroes. I love Barnabas. Can't wait to meet Barnabas one day. Encourager, and I really hope that can be said of me. Hey, he may not be the smartest knife, but he's an encourager. I really want that to be said of me. But I really love John and um, i mean think about it john was in that inner circle yeah he had the 12 but then jesus had three that he poured his life into and john was one of them you know john liked to say i'm the disciple jesus loved i really don't think he said it that way but i like to think of it every now and then i'm the disciple that jesus loved but man john stevie got to hang out with jesus He got to fish with Jesus, got to eat with Jesus, got to recline with Jesus. I mean, he got that one-on-one interaction with Jesus here. He heard Jesus. He walked with him. He saw Jesus do all sorts of miracles. He saw all those things. He experiences all those things. And God just put the words and he protected John's memory. He protected John's vocabulary and what we see in the Gospel of John. And in his letters, is what John experienced when it comes to the life of Jesus. It's one way God communicates his word to mankind. Another thing that God did, another way that He method that He used is that He would sometimes allow writers to use the accounts of eyewitnesses when they weren't really the first eyewitnesses to witness the encounter. Y'all follow that? Don't ask me to say it again because I probably couldn't. But a great example of that is Dr. Luke. Now Luke's very, very detailed, but Luke tells us in Luke chapter one, the first four verses, he says, Hey, I'm using other accounts. Other people that were eyewitnesses of things that Jesus did, I'm using their accounts to tell you what God has laid upon my heart. So sometimes writers use the accounts of other eyewitnesses to write down what they wrote. And then sometimes, sometimes God spoke directly to the prophets and to the apostles, and he gave them a word. So you need to know that in the Old Testament, there's a book by a minor prophet. And we, you know, why do we call them minor? You know, they're all major in my book. But there's a guy that we call him a minor prophet. His name's Amos. And you say, Amos? Yeah, Amos. He's not just your great-great-granddaddy's uncle. There's a guy in the Bible named Amos. And, uh, and he wrote the book called? Amos. Amos. Yeah, very good. And, and I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but, but it's on the screen. Because you need to know about Amos. Because when we all get to heaven one day, um, you might run into Amos. And Amos like, hey, what do you think of my book? You know, don't say, you wrote a book? You know, don't do that. But, but this is from Amos chapter 3. For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants and the prophets and then amos says hey this is amos's illustration the lion has roared who will not fear the lord god has spoken who cannot but prophesy so what so what amos is saying here is that hey there's there's opportunities this is when god spoke to me so when amos writes that this is when god spoke to me he's saying it's just as when a lion when a lion were to roar guess what you're going to be you're going to be afraid if you hear a lion roar and you're close enough to that line, there's no cage separating you with some great you know, dip in the earth there to separate you from that line, You're going to be scared, right? I don't care who you are. I think you'll be afraid. It just comes natural. So Amos is like, just as when a lion roars and you're afraid, when God speaks, how can I not but prophesy? How can I not but speak? That word prophesy in the Hebrew language just means to boil over or to, uh, or to bubble up. So the idea is that when God spoke to the prophets, what he spoke to them just kind of boiled over, just kind of bubbled up, and they had no choice but to write. That's why Paul wrote what he wrote. It's why Amos wrote what he wrote, why Peter wrote what he wrote, why Daniel wrote what he wrote. Y'all got the picture? It just kind of bubbled up within them. Now listen to this. Apart, Apart from God revealing himself through his word, we would never know the most important things we need to know about God. I will say that again and hope I don't butcher it. Apart from God revealing himself to us through his word, we would never know the most important things we need to know about God. I shared with you recently that um, the older I get, I love love astronomy. Not astrology, but I love astronomy. And um, the story is about this particular professor that after the midterm exams took his students out in the middle of nowhere to an observatory. And, uh, and he's like, you know, the stars really come to life here at this observatory. So, Ethan, you would be right there with me. You would know, you know, about stars and stuff like that. I think he's asleep anyway. That's why I call on people to wake him up. <laughs> but um, he, he, the, the professor there is out there, and he's got this observatory, and the stars, the universe comes to life. They're like, why come we couldn't see this, you know, back in the city? where you got all these city lights and stuff like that. But, but the, the fact of the matter is they had a powerful telescope. And when they looked in that powerful telescope, guess what they saw? They saw things they never could see with their naked eye. They saw the the rings of Saturn. They saw the eye of Jupiter. They saw stars some 2,000 light years away. And the professor said, you know what? They've always been there. You just couldn't see them. Because the only way for you to see them is for you to use a telescope like this. So let me just tell you this. God's Word is like a telescope. And, And the Bible allows us to see things about God that otherwise would remain unseen to our naked eye. The Bible says that God reveals himself to us in the universe and in the natural world. I love Psalms 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the the glory of God, and the skies above proclaim his handiwork. That's God's tapestry for us at night when we go out there and we look at all the stars and the constellations. Now, here's a question. Without the Bible, would there be enough evidence to say God exists? Absolutely. No one is without excuse. There's enough evidence to know. Um, every, people would all be able to logically say and reasonably say, how can there not be a creator? Look at all of this. How can there not be a creator God? How can there not be a powerful God? But without the Bible, get this, without the Bible, you would not know how much God loves you. You would not know that you're a sinner. Without the Bible, you you wouldn't even know what sin is. You would not even know that sin separates you from a holy God, and the holy God went to the cross for you, so that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, his son, his only begotten son, and repent of your sins, he can save you and be in a relationship with you. You know, there's just certain things we cannot find out for ourselves unless we have the scriptures to reveal it. So one of the reasons you can't believe the Bible and take it to the bank It's because of the revelation of Scripture. But then secondly, not only do you have the revelation of Scripture, you've got the inspiration of Scripture. Another reason you can say, I can believe the Bible. So here in just a few words, the Bible describes the process, the process of how God inspired the biblical writers. Notice what the Bible says in verse 21. No revelation, some translations say, no revelation, no prophecy of God ever came or was produced by the will of man. No prophecy, no revelation ever came as a result of the will of man. It never came because God decided, hey, I want to, you know, just to... uh, It never came because man decided, rather, that they wanted a word from God. But instead, man spoke the word of God, and they were carried along, the Bible says, by the Spirit. And let me just remind you who these biblical writers were. They were people that were just like me and you. They were just, just like us, but they were special men that God had appointed for a special task, and that special task was to communicate the Word of God to the people of God. The Bible says that they spoke and that they were just carried along, or that God spoke and these men were just carried along by the Spirit. So when you and I talk about how God inspired His Word, you know, these guys just didn't pick up a pen and randomly write down these jots or thoughts about God instead god used them and miraculously moved them along just moving their hands i like to think of it putting the words in their mind and in their heart and they would write down what god would have them to write and what's really cool for me to think about is that these guys were from a whole lot of different backgrounds i mean they didn't just look like us they were completely different just like you and i are completely different i mean god used some people that were shepherds like david he used some people that were pretty wise like solomon uh, some were scholars like Luke and Ezra and Paul. Some that God used for fishermen like Peter and John. Some were trained in the highest educated learning centers, you know, around the world at the time, like Moses. And then some were like Amos, just, just simple farmers. But all in all, God took 50 human authors living on several different continents, writing in three separate languages, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, living over a period of some 2,000 years, and they wrote one cohesive book. Isn't that cool? Can I just tell you, we got a cool God. I mean, God orchestrated all of that. The Bible is a miracle book. By His Spirit, God moved all of these individuals along. And as He did, all of these guys, they're different, and their individual styles came out. I mean, Trey, Robert, and myself, we all preach the same message. But our personalities come out in the message. We're all different, but it's the same message, right? Y'all with me? All right. So when you hold this book in your hands, and I hope yours is still open here and you're following along with me as we go through this passage, it is exactly what God wants you to know about him in this particular passage of Scripture. And it's why we need to make sure we're students of the Bible. Over in 2 Timothy 3.16 is a familiar verse of Scripture, and we've got it on the Bible app, we've got it on the the screens for you. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture, not some, all Scripture is breathed out by God, are are, is inspired by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. There again, the Bible doesn't say some scripture, but what? All. Thank you very much. All scripture. It's not talking about Dalmatian theology here, where you just pick the spots that you like and leave the others out. All right? All scripture is God-breathed. Scripture is inspired. So when we say that scripture is inspired, it's not inspired as if, Bach or Beethoven was inspired to write their concertos and stuff or, or Monet or Picasso you know, drew their paintings and stuff like that that's human inspiration the biblical writers were heavenly inspired, divinely inspired by God the Bible says that, that God breathed out his word. The word, that's what inspiration means and all the scripture has been inspired by God, it's been breathed out by God, therefore it is profitable for teaching, that means to show us the things that God wants us to know, it's profitable for or reproof Showing you and showing me the things that aren't right in our life. It shows us our correction, how we can get right in our life. And then for training in righteousness, showing us the way or the right way that we ought to be walking. The Bible says that all Scripture, all Scripture is inspired by God, breathed out by God. Now, now listen to this here. Speaking about the inspiration of Scripture. If the Bible, all right, y'all with me? If the Bible is breathed out by God, then the Bible cannot contain error. If this is God's Word, it cannot contain error. Our God is a a perfect truth type of God. He cannot breathe error. He cannot lie. So because the Word of God is breathed out and inspired by God, He cannot lie. We can believe that the Bible, and we should believe that the Bible is inerrant, meaning there's no errors, that it's infallible, there's no mistakes in it and that it's inspired. It is a literally God breathed out word of God. Our holy God is holy, right? He's a holy God. He's a truthful God. He's a righteous God. He's a perfect God. And therefore, his Bible as well is perfect. So you can trust every word here in scripture. Now, now, now here's a good word. If we believe all that, and I do. If we believe all that, that it's inerrant, that it's infallible, it is inspired. But yet, if I ignore it. And if you ignore it, it doesn't matter whether we think it's inerrant, infallible, and and inspired at all. It's not going to make a difference in our life if we ignore it. If you ignore the Bible, what difference is it going to make in your life or in my life? The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, the Bible is breathed out by God, and it is profitable. I heard a story about a, a, a ranger in Yellowstone National Park, and he was doing what rangers you know like to do he was taking a particular group of people throughout the park and he was just so impressing everybody with this knowledge of all the the flowers i will be like this let's get on with it i'm not a flower type of guy can y'all pick up on that but he you know he's talking about flowers and all the animals and stuff like that that come through. i mean the knowledge that he had of the park was extensive and everybody on the tour there knew it But he was getting really ticked off. Y'all ever get ticked off, not you guys. I know other people might in other churches, but not y'all. So the ranger was kind of getting ticked off because as he's giving his speech, telling everybody on his tour about all the birds and the animals and all the other things like this, his his two-way radio kept on going off. And it just really got on his nerves, so much so that he turned it off. So they're making their way to a fire tower where they're going to see this beautiful overlook of Yellowstone. And as they're about to get to that fire tower, here comes another ranger running as fast as he could. And he's out of breath, and he's like, why haven't you responded? We've been trying to get in touch with you on your two-way radio. Why in the world have you turned it off? And he didn't have the heart to say, well, you were interrupting my speech. But then the exhaustive ranger said, we just wanted you to know there's a grizzly bear that's been stalking your group for miles, and we just wanted to get your attention so that you can be aware of it. <laughs> Boy, I can see myself and the ranger that turned it off. I share that with you to tell you this. When we keep our Bibles closed, we're ignoring, we're ignoring, just like that ranger, the message that God has for us. There's a country song. I'm not going to sing it. But it, it, the lyric goes something like this Who gets the family Bible? There's another country song that contains the lyric There's dust on the Bible. For a lot of Christians, there's dust on our Bible. And we don't know what God's trying to communicate with us. Because the biggest problem in church today is not that we don't believe the Bible. We just don't read the Bible. We disregard it. So um, let me just say this. Whenever I do this, I'm getting real personal, okay? I love y'all. All right? But I wonder how much dust is on our Bibles. Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. So if you really believe that the Bible is the inspired and infallible Word of God, there shouldn't be dust on our Bibles. We ought to be in our Bibles. D.L. Moody, man, one of the greats that's now in heaven, no formal education whatsoever, but man, God used him in a mighty big way. D.L. Moody said, I know the Bible's inspired because it inspires me. So one of the reasons you can trust the Bible is that it is the inspiration of God's Word. Y'all still with me? Say Amen if you are. All right. Y'all are going to do anything tonight anyway, so I'm going to keep you, all right? I'm going to keep on trucking. So lastly, let's talk about the confirmation of Scripture. Now look back up with me in verse 16. We read it a few minutes ago. Peter's taking us to the transfiguration, the Mount of Transfiguration. And, and just notice what Peter is saying here in verses 16 through 19. He's basically saying, hey, we were on that mountain. We were there. We saw the transformation of Jesus. I, I saw Jesus in glory, and I heard a voice from heaven speaking, saying, this is my beloved son. And then he says, "This is, don't miss this in your scriptures. He says, but we have the prophetic word, meaning the Bible, and it's more fully confirmed. So what, what Peter is saying to us, that the Bible is speaking to us more loudly than what I experienced when I was on the mountain of transfiguration and saw Jesus transformed. That's pretty deep fellows he's like everything that we need to know was right here in scripture it's validation here hey can i tell you this jesus validates his word jesus validates the word of god in fact (laughs) things most people likely question about scripture especially as it pertains to the old testament y'all know who validated it and confirmed it jesus Jesus did. Jesus affirmed that God made the first man and woman, as Genesis tells us in the book of Genesis, and that he joined them together as man and wife. So from the beginning, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Y'all know where I'm going, all right? Jesus affirmed that the world was flooded just as it was in the days of Noah. Jesus affirmed that Jonah was literally swallowed by a literal fish and was in a literal mess Jesus affirmed all of that everything about the life, death, resurrection and glory of Jesus is his testimony and confirmation of the word of God look again at verse 19 more fully confirmed the Bible says and then he calls Jesus the morning star Peter does so the Bible is saying till Jesus comes you pay attention to the word of God it's a lamp shining in a dark place hey by the way if you haven't figured it out we're living in a dark place the world's going more and more dark I heard about a lady that met a young guy at church, and they began that puppy love, if you will. They were just so glad they found each other. He was from California. Things got serious, and, uh, and he's like, I think you need to come meet mom and dad. You know it's serious when you meet the parents. So uh, she was, flew out to California with him to meet his family, and he was wealthy, came from a wealthy family. Uh, he was good looking he had a great personality i think i'm one of those maybe personality on most days Uh, but this girl was just madly in love and they started talking about every now and then like hey maybe we ought to get married and one night they were just really talking about some things that people need to talk about if they plan on getting married they started talking about scripture and doctrine and things of that nature and she said um you know, I believe, I believe the Bible is completely true. And she was really taken aback when he's like, well, I'm not there. I mean, she thought she knew the guy, but she, he's like, I just don't believe everything I see in Scripture. And she's like, well, I do. He says, well, I don't. Then she asked a question as they continue with their meal. Why don't you believe all the Bible? He's like, well, I, I believe parts of it. Well, do you believe that Noah you know, built the ark and that there was a worldwide flood? And he's like, I can, I can stomach that Noah might have built an ark. I don't know if it's as big as they say it is. But worldwide, no, nah, I just don't see that. I don't believe that. Then she asked another question. What about Jonah? You believe that Jonah was, was a prophet swallowed by a giant fish? I don't believe that. Who in the right mind would believe something like that? Then she said, well, do you believe that Jesus came and he died on the cross and he rose again from the grave to give us victory over over death well yeah i believe that we agree on that well and then she said this well if you believe on that why don't you believe the rest and they kind of like had a little disagreement there in the restaurant and one thing led to another but may i just tell you this if you're ever in that predicament kiddos or anybody contemplating marriage to somebody it's important that you agree on the basics especially as it relates to the word of god so she went back home thinking, well, how can I fix them? Can I tell you something? The, the few people I've married, not that I've married, but counseled in you know, getting married. Y'all here you know, with me? All right. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> Scratch that. to <laughs> Don't, you can't say going into this marriage, I plan on fixing him. That's right. Sandy behave. <laughs> or I plan on fixing her. Oh, Todd's smart. <laughs> Todd's very smart there. But her heart was broken. not saying he's the girl in the story here. Her heart was broken <laughs> because he called her a few days later and said, like, you know, I think we need to stop talking about getting married. You know, sometimes we don't really understand things that God does and why God allows this or that to take place, but God could have been saving her from a potentially destructive situation. This is good. The Bible reveals Jesus, and then Jesus confirms the Bible. The Bible reveals Jesus, and Jesus confirms the Bible. I'll close with this illustration, but it comes from the book, The God Question. Listen to this. This this is just so astounding to me. The Old Testament contains several hundred prophecies related to the coming Messiah. 332 were fulfilled in the first coming, the first advent of Jesus, all right? Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, 332 were fulfilled in Jesus. Now, there's a guy by the name of Peter Stoner who's a mathematician. Can I just tell you this? He and I don't run in the same circles. He's a mathematician. He took mathematical science and probability. And he began to calculate the odds if just one person could fulfill just eight of the prophecies. So he's using math and science. What if one person could fulfill just eight of the prophecies we read about? Listen to what he said. (laughs) Blows my mind. We found the chance that any man might have lived down to the present time and fulfilled eight prophecies is one times ten to the 17th power. Can I just tell you what somebody like me thinks when we think of that? That's a lot. That's just astounding to think about. But then he puts it in terms that I can kind of get, all right? He says, imagine if you had that many silver dollars, 1 times 10 to the 17th power, you had that many silver dollars, and you were to pour all of those silver dollars across the state of Texas. You know, the state of Texas is a little bit bigger than South Carolina, right? So you've got all of these coins all over the state of Texas, and you cover it. It would cover the state of Texas. They say two feet worth of silver dollars. That's hard for me to fathom, but I can picture it a whole lot better than I can understand the math. Then he says, imagine you took one of those silver dollars and you marked it with an X on it. And then you take that silver dollars and you just put it in the middle of the state of Texas. And then imagine that you're given a giant stirring stick, all right? One of the best stirring sticks I ever got came from Zambia, a big old thing. So imagine you got one of these big old stirring sticks and, 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 you, and you're stirring up that pot of silver coins, silver dollars, one's got the marked X on it, right? You're in the middle of the state of Texas, and you're using that story stick, and you're just stirring up all of those silver coins. And then they blindfold you and say, pick up the silver coin with the X on it. Y'all with me? Just kind of blows my mind. And then this is what Peter Stoner said. The probability that you picked up that one marked silver dollar with the marked X on it is the same probability of just one person fulfilling eight of the Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah. Can I just tell you this? Jesus fulfilled 332 of them in his first coming. So Jesus shows us and confirms that the Bible is absolutely true. The Bible points us to Jesus. Jesus points us to to the Bible. If you want to know God, if you want to know what your biggest problem is, if you want to know how to get rid of your biggest problem, which is sin, by the way, the only way for you and for me to know that is to go through his book. So I want to challenge you this week. To start something with us, all right. I want you to get in the book with us, the Bible. That is not some Nicholas Sparks book that you might read on the beach, but I want you to get into the Bible. By the way, Nicholas Sparks always has a half, happy ending, I guess, but but nothing's a happier ending as the as the Bible. So I want you to get in the Bible with me. And there's um, you can find this this Bible reading plan. You can find that in our YouVersion Bible app. So if you've been looking through that today, that's attached to the notes there. If you have trouble with it, get in touch at the church office this week. But this is the Bible reading plan for us. It's called Holy 90. It's a 90-day Bible reading plan that will take us as a church through the Gospels this summer. We say, why are you doing that, preacher? Well, it's the summer. One, you got more time on your hands, I think, if you don't. I feel good about at least saying that, because I think you do. But then also, it will put us on the same reading plan you know, as we read through the Bible together. I just want us to get in the Bible. Don't worry about how much you're reading. The, the, the assignments are very, very lenient as we go through this 90 days together. But just allow the Word of God to speak to you. Y'all know why? Because the Bible is God's love letter for you. Let me ask you to bow your head. Every head bow and every eye close, if you will. And if possible, nobody looking around. Just want to get along with the Lord here. And for as briefly as I can, I just want to speak to those of you that maybe, just maybe have never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. You never trusted in the Bible. But maybe perhaps today, because of what you've heard and how the Holy Spirit has just touched your heart, maybe today's the day that you can get saved Nothing would please the Lord more than for you to leave here today knowing that you've got a right relationship with Him. And if you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior, would you just pray this prayer with me? Nothing's unique or powerful or special about the words, but what is unique and powerful and special about the words is that if you mean them in your heart to the Lord. Here's what these words are. Just a simple prayer. I would ask you to pray if you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, And I know that you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins. I accept this morning your eternal offer of salvation. Thank you for forgiving me of all of my sin, past, present, and future. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the new life that you give me. And from this day forward, Heavenly Father, help me to live my life for you and for your glory. Still with every head bowed, eyes are closed. If you prayed that, Any minute in your heart, based on how I read my Bible, God will save you. Because that right there was as simple as enough for a child to say, Jesus, come into my heart. Save me. Live in me. So, Lord Jesus, thank you that you make it just as simple for adults and children to be on the same page and to simply call upon your name and to be saved. Lord, I pray for those of us that maybe have been saved for a long time. For me, it's been since 1982. Um, Certainly not perfect. I like to think that I'm on my way to perfection and I am in heaven. But Lord, I, I thank you so much that until you come back and take us to be with you in heaven, I thank you, Lord, that for the time being that when we gather together as a church family and we preach, that we can preach the perfect word of God that encourages us to be your mouthpiece in Shiraul or wherever you were to take us, Lord. So, Lord, draw us to yourself. Help us, Lord, more than anything to realize that today we cannot trust in your perfect word. And because of your perfect word, we know about you.